0: Coming to you from Low Bar in Nashville, Tennessee, this is Feeding the Senses Uncensored, and I'm your host, Trey Mitchell. We look forward to bringing you more interviews with amazing artists from many different creative mediums. Check out my photography of 30-plus years on Insta at Trey Mitchell Photography. We're always looking for new sponsors. Please reach out at FTSUNashville at gmail.com and use the title sponsorship. Also, if you'd like to submit to be on the podcast, email us at the same address, and use the title Guest. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share. Lindsay Bailey is a sculptor, painter, blogger, photographer, and traveling art educator.
1: Hi, it's Lindsay Bailey.
0: And you're listening to Feeding the Senses Uncensored. Lindsay, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you.
0: My gosh, where have you been? I mean, you just world traveling. Yeah,
1: most recently in China, and then I moved back here probably... I don't know, during the end part of COVID over here.
0: I don't
1: know if we're in part, maybe we're not even at the end part. And then I was teaching in Connecticut last year at a boarding school. So now I'm going back overseas to Phnom Penh in Cambodia.
0: Wow. Okay, so let's go backwards. So I met you here in Nashville because of the art magazine I had, and you were working on Belcourt hand painting custom design shoes, correct?
1: Yeah, that was a long time ago. That was a kiss my feet with Kelly Kerrigan and Kate and Danielle and all sorts of people. It was exciting.
0: But you are not actually from Nashville, correct?
1: No, I am originally from Austin, Texas. I was born there and we stayed there probably until I was in kindergarten. And then we moved to Oklahoma for a year and then moved back to Texas. And I was raised in Dallas, Fort Worth.
0: And why did you end up here in Nashville?
1: Um. Well, a long story, actually, but I will keep it brief. My dad had moved to New Jersey when my parents got a divorce when I was 13, and he stayed there for quite a while, and then around maybe 2000, maybe 99, they decided to leave the tri-state area and move back to the south, but because my dad had already lived in Texas and his wife is from Florida, they decided to Choose a new place. And they really liked the area around Nashville and decided on Franklin. And they've been here ever since. Oh, wow. What happened was I was in college at the University of Texas. I wanted a break because I had been in school for a while and I just needed a break before I ended up finishing my degree. So I decided to move to Nashville. It was my first foray into living outside of Texas and it was very exciting.
0: What did you go to school for?
1: My undergraduate degree is in fine arts, so I have a studio art undergrad, but I split it up. So I went to school um, at a community college for a couple of years once I graduated high school, and then I went to the University of Texas in August of 95. I stayed in school, kind of only taking art classes and really nothing else that I was needing to graduate until maybe 98, and then... I took a break. And then what happened was I moved to Nashville, ended up opening a studio teaching art. I helped the Green Hills Y start their art program. I worked at Creative Fitness Center and then decided after all that, that I wanted to go back to school and finish my undergrad. I went back to the University of Texas probably around 2007 and then finished and went straight into grad school for two different degree programs.
0: And what were those?
1: My MFA was most recently completed in 2016, and that was just in studio art as well. So that was four years. It was a summer intensive program. So there would be a few classes that would happen during the fall and spring, but then I would move to Baltimore, Maryland, and be living in the dorms sort of every summer for four years. And then prior to that, I got my master's in community arts, which was also at the Maryland Institute College of Arts. And that was a 14-month program.
0: Wow. So how did you bounce into this traveling the world teaching? Like, how did that even work? Where did you start and how did you continue to do it? I mean, is there like, educate me because I don't know anything about it.
1: Yeah, there's all sorts of different ways you can get into it. So what happened with me was I finished my community arts masters in Baltimore, and I moved back to the Nashville area just to see if I wanted to be here and just to kind of re-introduce sort of myself to the art world. And I think you and I even kind of hung out a couple of times when I moved back that second time. And I ended up working at the turnip truck, which was really fun. And I did some stuff at Frist and worked mainly out at Cheekwood teaching all of their classes that they had on the weekends and for special events and just kind of started trying to get my work out as much as possible. I ended up doing a performance piece that I organized and facilitated at Belmont for their fringe festival. I did a variety of things that I kind of organized through multiple schools and then had like bigger shows at Belmont and just kind of started to just make work as much as I could outside of the time that I was also working. I think I just sort of was interested in what would happen if I just had one job because all my all of my adult life up until that time I had had multiple jobs and I was like well what can I do I didn't have a teaching degree but I had a masters in art and from a notable school and I had my undergrad in art so and I had done lots and lots of teaching so I was like, well, let me let me talk to some people. So I contacted some friends of mine over at the University of Texas and they're in the career development part of it. And I just asked them, you know, what can I do with these kinds of degrees? And they were like, you should look at Carney Sando. Carney Sando is like this search engine for people with higher degrees that kind of helps you find teaching jobs that are all over the world. They're mainly probably in the United States, but for Carney Sando specifically, they do placements around the world. Cool. So I ended up applying to lots of different jobs on there. The application process is pretty long and extensive and you have to have a background check and do all these other things. Wow. And I ended up getting my job in Singapore, which was my first, <laughs> my first job overseas. And that was in June of 2012. I literally was working up until the day I left. <laughs> I remember the week before, I packed everything. I was doing this teacher training workshop. I was teaching it at Middle Tennessee State University, and it was it was nuts. My dad kept asking me every time I had come back to Franklin. He was like, "Well, so what are you taking overseas? Do you know?" And I was like, "Can't even think about that right now. We'll just see." Finally, the day comes for me to leave to Singapore, and my parents are going to take me to the airport in Nashville, and. My dad's like, maybe we should look at a map so you can know where Singapore is. Because he was like, I've been there several times, but you've never been there. I'll find out where it is when I get there. Ended up loving it and finding myself overseas because it just changes you and allowed me to sort of get out of my comfort zone and experience lots and lots of different things. So I was in Singapore for three years. And then so what i realized with this whole me wanting one job thing is that when you get a job that's like a salaried job a legit one job situation especially with teaching they plan when your breaks are like you have fall break and you have weekends and you have all these things that i was not used to having because i was used to working all the time 24/7 so i wasn't even used to like organizing trips or thinking about traveling or any of that stuff it gets to be like halfway through September and everybody's like, what are you doing for fall break? What are you doing for fall break? And I was like, wait, when is fall break? And they were like, it's in mid October. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I should plan something. So I just hopped online and booked a flight to the Philippines and ended up being in the Philippines for eight days. It just kind of started from there. So every break that I got, I planned to be somewhere outside of Singapore. So I think while I was in Singapore for those three years, I ended up traveling to something like thirty-five different countries. Oh, geez! And I went to Bali four times, and I went to India three times, and I went to Vietnam once. I went to Thailand and met tigers and lived with elephants and did all sorts of. Things. It was just amazing, and it just what happens when you start doing all this massive, intensive traveling is your brain just kind of slowly starts exploding with ideas and thoughts and these drives to have more and more experiences, it gets a little addicting. And so from there, I went to the Middle East to teach because once you get one international job, it's much easier through friends or colleagues or online searches to find more and more jobs. And so I ended up going to the Middle East right after Singapore. When I was in the Middle East, I ended up going to Switzerland and doing some European traveling. And then I did some more traveling in the in the Middle East. And then that was the first year that I ended up going to Nepal. And I really loved Nepal. But it wasn't until I was living in China and I planned a trip to Mongolia.
0: What's your favorite place?
1: Mongolia, hands down, is my favorite place that I've been.
0: Why is that?
1: That doesn't mean that the other places were not favorites, but... Mongolia just had this otherworldly sort of Wild West quality to it that was really exciting to me. There were very little people and lots and lots of animals. And it was cold. I ended up, what was interesting about Mongolia is, I think it was one of the, maybe it was the first or second vacation that I ended up booking almost all of the experiences that I had over there through Airbnb. And I was originally kind of just finding things to do through people that I met, but prior to going to Mongolia, I booked all these different things that I was going to do. And it was just an incredible experience. I stayed in a yurt the whole time I was there. It was really cold. I went in maybe mid to late March, so it was really still very cold up there. There was this man that would come in in the middle of the night and change out the firewood my heater in the middle of the yurt the lady that ran the yurt she hooked me up with this driver that had this like russian minivan that was jacked up on these high wheels and he took me all over the country we drove all over the place and we were listening to russian disco the entire time it was amazing And we got to see like wild horses running free. And I got to stay with nomadic families in their yurts. And I remember one of the second yurts that we went to for me to stay overnight with. I walked in and they were watching that movie about the lead singer from Queen. And I thought that was so funny because I was like, didn't this just come out in the U.S.? And it was right there in a yurt. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great film. Um, In the middle of the country, it was just bizarre because like outside of this yurt were all these like sheep oh wow i mean it was just nuts it just came out in the u.s right we're using satellite watching it here inside of a yurt that has a battery from a car to turn on the lights it was just so wild i loved it
0: cool it was traveling alone for all this time was that a better experience maybe for you if if you had been with somebody else it might have been very different obviously right
1: so I think about this a lot because I think that there, there's something that's happening in me. It's, it's created like this fierce independence within myself that I don't think I had when I was only living in the States. And I have realized now that I, I'm not saying that I don't want to travel with people, but I really enjoy traveling alone because I am an extroverted person. But if given the opportunity. I will sit in the corner and have a beer and read a book and not talk to anyone. But when you travel alone, you are forced to come outside of your you know, comfort zone and like you have to ask directions and there's a language barrier usually and or at least initially there's a language barrier. You have to find transportation, you have to find bathrooms, you have to find hotels, you have to find directions, places, you know, it's just one thing after the other. It becomes like I was just telling my dad the other day because he was asking me about the language in Cambodia and if I was ready for it.
0: Yeah. Do you speak all these different languages now or do you use translating apps or does it work?
1: Apps are helpful for sure. But for the most part, everywhere that I've gone, because most of the countries outside of the U.S. are teaching English to their kids at a very, very young age. Oh, OK. And really, it was only in China and Cuba that there were sort of bigger language barriers where I maybe had to do like some like hand gestures and signing to get my questions
0: across. (laughs) Right, interesting. You said something about the breaks because I grew up, my parents were both school teachers their whole careers. So that was something that they had been doing for their whole life until I came along and they just still continued it. You know, they made plans for all these breaks. So it's interesting that you learned and adapted because you didn't have that experience. And it sounds like it's been a absolutely eye-opening, wonderful experience to work and play and not have to split them up like that.
1: Yeah. So my mom was a teacher while I was growing up. Once my parents got a divorce, she went back into teaching, but she was a stay-at-home mom until then and a teacher before we came along. But so we had those breaks, but because my dad wasn't a teacher, we couldn't really optimize all those breaks the same way all oh, right so for me you know how it was especially in those early like 2000s in nashville you're just doing anything you can to make to get by and i was working at five or six different places and i had cars that were breaking down all the time and i didn't
0: yeah i
1: couldn't take off on weekends or anything or evenings because you had to just take whoever was going to hire you at that time you just had to take it and it was just like a hustle and I love that because it definitely gave me a work ethic that a lot of my counterparts that maybe weren't doing the whole art thing have. And really appreciate that growing part of me, that part back in the early 2000s that was kind of, I don't know, just really transformed me into the person that I am today for sure. And I credit my time in Nashville to a lot of that. But yeah, it's really been incredible to be able to go into the school year in August and know, bump it up, but I have these breaks coming up. Now, I will say that that all changed when I was at that boarding school last year. Right. Because when you're at a boarding school, guess who doesn't get the breaks? The teachers, because there's kids there. So, so they never leave. So yeah, it was like I was on an island with middle schoolers for an entire year.
0: They never leave. <laughs>
1: well, mentally, after that experience, I'm, I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm still still trying to rest and get my strength back.
0: No, God. Are you okay?
1: Yeah, it was a really stressful, (laughs) hard last year. And I think a lot, I think some of that was sort of this weird post-COVID thing that we're in, especially with kids, because you realize when you're a teacher that kids have been out of school or sort of hybrid for two years. That means that your fifth graders that you're working on are actually socially maybe third graders, And your kindergartners haven't even been to preschool, so they have no idea how to function around other kids.
0: Are you talking about me? (laughs) It was,
1: last year was hard.
0: Well, being a teacher right now is difficult, period. Parents say it all the time. I'm glad we're done because during COVID, it got so difficult. you were basically having two teaching jobs at once because you're- online and in person or vice versa, or it was on and off and on and off. And so many people just gave up teaching. I can't do this for this little bit of money. It's not worth the stress. And then you have the parent. It's got to be a tough, tough job. And I know it is from my parents, but even worse now. So the fact that you're doing it and going to other countries with different languages, that's amazing. What language is your dog speaking right now?
1: Well, so... He's actually from China. That's a whole nother story. So, yeah. So let me, let me talk about that a little bit because. Sure. It's been that whole COVID situation was elongated for me because guess where I was when COVID broke out?
0: Stuck in another country.
1: I was in China.
0: Oh no, the perfect place to be.
1: And I was, I was in a province right next to Wuhan. So we were locked down almost immediately. It was so crazy i was telling some friends this story the other day because i traveled travel traveled all through 2019 i probably went to 12 different places during 2019 it was really really awesome and i went to nepal for christmas and new year's and then on the 31st i came back met some friends at a bar that night in china in nantong and then woke up on january 1st we had school starting on january 4th of 2020. We went back to school and then Chinese New Year is a month long and it starts I don't know sometimes it's early February sometimes it's late February but it's in February so when you get back from the winter holidays you have like maybe two or three weeks that you're in school so we had this big Chinese New Year party Mm -hmm. planned at one of my friend's houses on that Friday of the third week that we were in school after winter holidays. And we were gonna be off for the next month for Chinese New Year. We literally went to her house, did the whole Chinese New Year thing, watched Jackie Chan on television doing his whole thing. He introduces the New Year to everybody on television and it's this big to-do with like hundreds of dancers and all sorts of things. We ate a bunch of really good food, had a bunch of really good wine. Then we went outside and like that week, My dad's wife had texted me and she said, have you heard about this weird virus that's happening in China? It was like, no, I, I don't know what she's talking about. And I just kind of blew it off. Well, that night when we went outside to get a cab, no one was on the streets. It was like a zombie apocalypse. No one was on the streets. No cars, no people, no vegetable carts, no fruit carts, nothing. No one was on the streets. It was wild. Creepy. And we were like, oh my God this is crazy. And we tried to get a cab on our apps, no caps, no caps, no caps. So we walked home and that was it. Then we were in the apartment for 12 weeks and they, it was very strict in China. So we were only allowed to go to the grocery store every two days. Mm-hmm. And that was just in my community. There were other communities that were not allowed to go to the grocery store at all. And they had food delivery, but we were allowed to go to the grocery store. So The only way that we could socialize was by going to the grocery store. So we would text each other, my friends and I, of when we were going to the grocery store and we'd all go to the grocery store at the same time. And because the Western food isn't that popular in China, there was always wine and cheese and crackers. So we were like hoarding all the wine and cheese and crackers. It was great (laughs) because we were allowed to stay in our own compound there's huge apartment complexes. Like my apartment complex had like 300. So you could stay in that apartment complex. And so I would go over to friends' houses and play cards or watch movies and we'd have dinner parties and we'd have dance, you know, parties and stuff, but we could never leave that compound. And that's when I found my puppy during that time period, because there's lots of stray dogs in China. Wow. There was a little puppy outside and now I have a dog.
0: So that dog travels with you everywhere you go?
1: Well, so he doesn't go on like short vacations, like When I have my fall break or Christmas break or whatever. He did fly back to the U.S. with me. That was wild because it was when the U.S. was kind of having their second resurgence of COVID stuff. And so the laws coming from China to the U.S. were super strict. It ended up costing me like $7,000 to get him on a plane. And that's just cargo. Oh, God. He had to be checked out by the local government in China, the huge province government and then he had to be checked again at the airport he had to have all these different shots he had to have a microchip he had to just have all these things that they wanted before they shipped him off to the u.s and he had to leave a month earlier than me because they wouldn't put him on an airline between the hot months so like june july and august he wasn't allowed to fly
0: oh well that makes sense
1: Well, I didn't get out of school until the end of June. So he had to leave in mid-May to come over here. So I had a friend pick him up at the airport, and then he had to babysit him for a month.
0: So he wasn't quarantined? A lot of times when you go to other countries, they quarantine him for a while. So come back to the U.S., they didn't do that.
1: No, the quarantining doesn't really happen as much anymore. It does in Europe. Europe still has it. I think Singapore is has a really long quarantine, like six weeks or something. Wow. The U.S. doesn't quarantine if they have all their registration and shots. So oh, okay, he came back and got picked up at JFK and taken home. So it was easy peasy. All they did was check his passport information. And so now what he has to do is he has to go to the vet again but it has to be within 14 days of me flying out to Cambodia and this time he's going on the same plane as me the cat is from the Middle East and he actually has traveled lots and lots of times because I've had him for lots longer he travels under the seat in front of me and he loves it he just goes to sleep and he's out wow the dog will have to go under the plane and we're taking Korean Air this time because Korean Air is really good with pets they'll let you take three pets with one passport. So it's pretty cool. Oh It's amazing to me. Sometimes I think about these things that I've done, like the research to understand the traveling with the pets, passport stuff and the medical checks and all these things that you have to do when you're getting a job in a new country. Oh my God, I would never be able to do that again. It's not that I wouldn't want to do it again. It's just that I can't even remember the (laughs) the steps to take because there's so many steps. It's amazing.
0: So you don't travel alone. You have two companions with you.
1: Well, yeah, I have my dog and my cat. Yeah. My cat also doesn't go on vacations with me. I do travel completely alone when I'm on my vacations. I have found that there's one friend of mine who I met in Florida and she and I have traveled to Japan and Cuba together and we work really well travel wise. We both get up early, both really good foods and spa time and like, nice bars. And so we travel really well together. But most of the time I just travel alone because I feel like it pushes me harder. I've found also that I'm not very good at, like, you'll never find me going, hey, I want to go to a beach and just lay out for a week. That's right, not really my travel type. I'm more of a, hey, let's go to whatever country, and let's climb a mountain for the first two days. And then let's take a bike ride for three days. And then let's go meet some weird wild animals that might kill me. And then let's go eat a bunch of really good foods. Then we'll take some cooking classes. Like I work really hard on the vacations that I take.
0: Well, you got to squeeze out every minute of it, right?
1: Well, yeah. Like I'm also, I have bad FOMO. I really have bad FOMO. When I come to the end of my life, whenever that is, I want to know that I pushed myself as hard as possible to squeeze as much out of this world that I could (laughs) and be as many places as I can go.
0: I want to talk about food, drink, and drugs. Like, have you, in your travels, experienced interesting, weird, phenomenal food or drinks or drugs that you would be like, oh, I got to tell you about this, or you should do this before you die kind of thing?
1: Rice, wine, in China is incredible. It's like grain alcohol. (laughs) Right. And so... I went to a wedding. I, see, I do this. I, I have people that I have hired to do A, B, or C. Maybe they're cleaning my house, or maybe they're taking me to school and back every day or whatever, Right. but right. this is pretty standard for when people are living overseas because the guy that was driving me in Nantong, he worked a full-time job between nine and five, but in the morning and in the evenings, he did driving on the, you know, it's just like being an Uber driver.
0: Right. Because they know what they're doing, where they're going and
1: Yeah. And so he he drove me every day and I got to be really good friends with he and his wife. And they took me to this legit old school out in the countryside Chinese wedding. And it was incredible. There was a lot of rice wine at that wedding. (laughs) There was also turtle soup that had the actual turtle floating in the soup Mm. that came around. That wedding was also amazing because what I found out at Chinese weddings, not all of them, but certainly this one that I went to, and I've heard that lots of the local sort of village weddings are like this, but they have like a, what's the guy that's like like an announcer at the wedding. And they do like these wild games for the kids and young adults that are there. They'll throw stuffed animals off the stage where they've just married these two people. Hmm. So it's sort of like having a T-shirt cannon at a wedding,
0: and like <laughs> okay. people
1: are just and so like people are like drinking and eating tons of food and smoking cigarettes because everybody smokes cigarettes in China and and they're just just hurling these stuffed animals all different sizes off the stage and kids are catching them and young adults are catching them and it's hilarious it's hilarious to watch because it's like a carnival. Wow, it's like the wedding went from exchanging vows to reception to. Crazy
0: Carnival. Wow. Okay. So you can rice wine. What about food or you mentioned cigarettes or drugs? Anything that's interesting that most people wouldn't have experienced at this point? Because I've been a lot of places since my wife and I started dating, but good Lord, you've been to tons of places. So I need to learn more.
1: So one of the reasons I chose Mongolia to go to is because I was a huge fan of the podcast that Bon Appetit magazine had for a long time. Before. And... They had interviewed this girl that went to Mongolia to learn how to make horse cheese. And so I I specifically made that Mongolian trip because I, was, I wanted to experience this horse cheese.
0: And what is horse cheese?
1: Well, it's just milk. It's, <laughs> it's milk from a horse that they've made into cheese. Because I had had camel milk before. I've had camel cheese before. I've had goat milk and goat cheese and all that stuff. And so I was just really curious like, how it's made and what the process is and then what it tastes like because I had heard that it was it was salty tasting. So I was just curious about it. Me too. But when I got there, it's something that they do sort of in this springy summer time. And it was still pretty hardcore winter when I was there. So I didn't get to experience that. But what I did get to experience were Mongolian dumplings which are about the size of your fist. They're huge. Wow. And they are delicious.
0: And what's in it? What kind of meat? Goat. Okay.
1: Incredible. So I was in this yurt with this whole family. It was like a family of five. Like there were three kids, a dad, a mom, and then one of the grandmas was there. She was just sitting on the bed making dumplings, rolling them out, filling them with stuff, pinching them together, And then we didn't speak. We just kind of, she just smiled at me a lot. But it was just incredible. I've seen lots and lots of local foods being made in various different places. I don't know how to explain to you what the best food, wine, beer, drug, whatever has been that I've tasted. Because to be honest with you, I've had so much from all over Asia and Southeast Asia and some of Europe. and the Middle East, that, and it's all part of the experience. So it's like, I can't really pull out one thing that's better than the other. Right. I will say that when traveling, it's really important to be super open-minded. I'm about to go to Cambodia. Cambodia and Laos are the two countries in the Southeast Asia area that I've not been to, but I've been to Vietnam and I've been to Thailand on either side of those. I have a, two friends that have helped me find an apartment in Phnom Penh. They live there She's a ballerina, he's an artist, and I was asking them because I remembered when I was in Thailand, we would go to these open air markets where you can get fish and, and meats and
0: coronavirus.
1: <laughs> you can. So one of the cool things that's in Thailand, well, I think it's cool. It's cool to look at. It's weird. Are these like, they have like these big oak barrels and they're just filled with fried tarantulas. Ooh. And they have all different kinds of insects. So I was asking my friend about it and I was like, do they do this in Cambodia too? So like they just put, if you want to buy some of these tarantulas, they pile like six of them on a stick, like a kebab, and then you just snack on them.
0: What's it like? Just like, just fried?
1: Well, it's not, there's no coating on it. It's just like oh a crunchy dead
0: animal
1: <laughs> or a dead insect.
0: Interesting.
1: And so I was asking my friend Amanda, I said, hey, do they do the same thing? And she said, oh Yeah. So we're going to take you to this wet market where you can eat food and have a beer in the evenings. And a wet market means that they just do you know what that means?
0: Oh, yeah. We just went to Greece February, and so we took tours through the markets like that. Yeah, it was really neat,
1: yeah. So we're gonna to go to this wet market, and she said, there's a lady that comes by with this little basket, and in that basket are these little crickets that are dead, and you just pop them in your mouth. And she said, And Tobin, her husband, was like, I've never had that. And Amanda was like, they're crunchy and really good. She was like, you'd be surprised how flavorful they are. Okay. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know. (laughs) You never know. In Cambodia, I may get a wild hare and have some. But I just remember seeing that massive oak barrel of tarantulas. And I was like, this is fascinating. This is super fascinating.
0: I'm open-minded when it comes to food, but my body isn't. When we had deer soup and brawn in Germany, no. That
1: didn't work for you?
0: No, not not so much. And Tulum, we had something that, you know, got I got sick. So as much as I love being open-minded and experimental, especially since I can eat anything that's basically going to burn your in your stomach because I love spicy food, there are other things that just, if you're not used to it, your body reacts a different way, obviously. Yeah,
1: same. So India is really interesting because everybody that you talk to before you go to India is like, oh, be careful with the street food. I've had so much food poisoning and blah, blah, blah. Never once got food poisoning. It never made me sick. I ate everything that I found on the street (laughs) and it was fantastic. They have like these potato burgers and they have this interesting, creamy, almost like a mixture between like a pudding and an ice cream that was fantastic. They have these amazing honey-flavored sort of sweets that you can buy. India has the most incredible food, top to bottom.
0: I love Thai food and Korean and Vietnamese. Did I say Indian already? I love all these foods, but for some reason, I don't really have a huge interest in going to the countries. And I don't know why. There's no real reason I just, I know why they have the spicy food because they didn't have refrigeration for so long and they seasoned it to make it last longer. And that makes sense. Right. So all the spicy foods, I'm like, yes, please more.
1: It's interesting. I would probably have been in the same boat if I were still in the U.S. full time, because I think when I was still here and still working here doing the big hustle, there was really only one country that I was fascinated in seeing, and that was Vietnam. And Now that I've been overseas, you just start having conversations with people and they're like, oh, well, if you loved Vietnam, you're going to love Thailand and here's why. And then you start learning about all these different places and you're like, you know what? I'm going to try that out. I remember the first time I went to India, you know, you hear these stories from people. They are true. Some things happen that are bad in other countries, just like here, but I just have never been scared to go anywhere and I had been accepted to this month-long residency for the Christmas holidays in Delhi and I got to the airport earlier than expected so my ride wasn't there and the place that was supposed to provide the ride wasn't open so this family looked at me and was like oh we just landed here from LA and our family lives here do you want us to just drop you off where you're going so I piled, I piled in this car. Oh, cool! All of our suitcases. Each of us had at least two or three ginormous suitcases, and we piled in this car. I remember I was sitting between the two front seats, like the passenger seat and the driver's seat. There's like that little console. I was sitting on that. Yeah. Like driving through yeah. the, <laughs> driving through the streets of Delhi. It was hilarious.
0: Oh, nice. Hey, you know I just thought of something. A lot of it has to do with because I live in America. Only have two or three weeks. And some of these countries take so long to get to, and I have to pick and choose which countries that I'm willing to spend a third of my vacation to go to, because then I have to come back and go to work. So you having the access everywhere you travel to, to hop to different areas is awesome. And that would be different for me. If I was around there, hey, why not hop over to so-and-so and and we're here and to experience it because I'm here, who knows when I'll be back. But the situation that Americans have in general is that work, 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 you get this little time off. Now go back to work. So it's a different lifestyle and whole situation that is kind of confining where a lot of other countries aren't so rigid like that.
1: Yeah. So that's a really good point that you're bringing up because I have taught at three different years in the United States in the last 15 years, like full school years. Every single year that I've been here, it feels incredibly isolating to me. Even though I have great friends here and I love being around my family and all that stuff, I still feel incredibly isolated when I'm here because I don't have that access that you're talking about.
0: Our states are the size of country. So when you're in Europe, it's easy to go from Germany to Austria or wherever. So it is. We're in an entire country and it takes a long time to get out of it, just to get out of it, not even go anywhere.
1: Yeah. If you do want to go to another country, people go to Canada, people go to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Some people, if they're adventurous, go over to London and all these other places, or they go down to South America. But Southeast Asia is is a pretty far hop for people in the U.S. And however, now that I live there and I have enough room for everybody, you're all welcome to visit. So it does get tricky when you're living here. And I think. Yeah. Aside from me working at a boarding school last year, I was on campus and not really able to leave for most of the year. Plus, they have really long winters in Western Connecticut. So I was really feeling the walls kind of creeping in on me, and
0: oh, sure, yeah.
1: I need that space, that space to travel and explore. and because I bring all of these things that I've learned. Back into the classroom for my students. So for me, it's really, really important to get out there. I've made this decision to go back to Cambodia or back to Southeast Asia and live in Cambodia. And I think this might be it. Like I'll come back to the US for visits, but I think I've now learned that I really need to be out there and doing
0: stuff. Before we run out of time, let's talk about your art. How would you describe your art and what types of mediums to use?
1: Things have kind of changed since you and i hung out a while ago i went into my mfa for studio art doing work that was installation based and sort of leaning towards performance there was a lot of costuming there was a lot of color there was a lot of layers and by layers i mean there was fabric and video on top of the fabric and the fabric would kind of blow as people walked around it. So then have this kind of texture that's moving a little bit. And then there were photographs that then were created. I kind of played with the fabric and glued things to these giant photographs to make them more sculptural. And all of this would be in the same room and kind of interacting together. Now, because I've been so nomadic, I I had a show in January, February in Kentucky, and basically everything fit for that show in a 9x12 manila envelope that could be mailed back to me.
0: Oh, right. You got to pare down because you don't have a lot of space to carry all your supplies and collect all your artwork, right?
1: Right. And so a lot of things that I do now are really, really focused on being inspired by the space. So if somebody says to me, hey, we have this gallery space that's 10 by 10 square feet, what can you do in this? I will probably go in there for a day and just sit and kind of feel it out and then make plans and go. And so when I was in this space in Kentucky, it was three different rooms and I used found objects that I found in like these old attics that they had around campus. Mm -hmm. It was at a college campus and I made I built because it was a show that was kind of inspired by influenced by my time in China. And I made all these structures. I didn't buy them, but I used clip lights to make shadows with the structures that I built from the found objects. And the shadows, the shadows looked like a cityscape in China. Nice. Or like a large city. So, and then what I took these. I sewed, glued these little strands of bunting and kind of connected everything together. And then I used those old school projectors that have like the heads on them of light.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. An overhead projector.
1: And I I made a bunch of transparencies of photographs that I took in Shanghai. And I kind of layered them on top of the built forms and kind of played with drawing outside of these images that were on these transparencies. So I kind of use what the space gives me. And I always kind of go into it with a theme that I'm focused on. So that show happened to be focused on my time in China. It was a complicated relationship. I loved being in China with my friends that I met there and my students were fantastic. But China, I also felt was very hard to live in. Um, just because of the cultural differences between our country and their country, and the Western way of thinking and the Chinese way of thinking, and yeah, all those kinds of things that you kind of run into head first when you're living in a different place. Right. I'm also a single female, so I get a lot of questions about why I'm not married and why I don't have kids, and all these things that are kind of.
0: You get those same questions here, though.
1: <laughs> not, not as much, but it's anywhere I do get these things, and I it can feel a bit oppressive. So I try to try to just keep my head down and just do what i need to do but anyway so i was just saying that that show that i had in january and february was really important to me because i thought it was very successful i was sharing with the students at that campus work that they had never even seen before they were very very traditional in the way that they looked at art and thinking about painting drawing pottery and sculptures and then nothing really outside of those four Things. And so here I come with my little manila envelope and just kind of make things with what I found. And it was just a whole new perspective for them to sort of look at and kind of see the world sort of through my lens, which is kind of like kind of having a nomadic practice, for lack of a better description. So I can use anything that's around me to make whatever I want, but it's mostly stuff that's very temporary. It's, it's just temporary in nature. And that's a scary place to make work because sometimes that means that you'll forget what you've made or somebody won't be able to buy something. And to me, that's never been the focus of my work. I've never been the type of person to make work for somebody to buy. Sometimes that makes me sad because I see all these cute things that my friends make and I'm like, yeah. oh, I wish I could make things like that. But it just doesn't, that's just not my modus operandi. I'm not someone who has like a successful Etsy store that has to do with the art that I make and all this stuff.
0: Well, it must be difficult with your lifestyle to do something like that, I would think. Do something like that, I would think. Tell me, what is Cake Crush? Like, where did that come from? And tell us what your socials are as well and your website, etc.
1: So my website is www.cakecrush.com. That's C-A-K-E-C-R-U-S-H.com. My... Instagram is at Cake Crush on the Town. And I have since, in the last three months, moved my blog over to my website. So there's no separate blog anymore. But Facebook, everything else has Cake Crush in it somewhere. So it's either Cake Crush on the Town or Cake Crush.
0: What is Cake Crush? Where did that come from?
1: Yeah. So getting back to your original question, Cake Crush came to me because when I moved back to Austin to finish my undergraduate degree that I had started 10 years earlier, I was making work that was focused on... You were there when I was doing things. Remember when I would make these giant clay cakes? Yes. So I have always been obsessed with patisseries and cake making and cake decorating and that kind of stuff. Like, it's just magical to me. Like, if I could live inside of icing, I would. (laughs) I love it. And so I've always had a crush on cakes. And so when I went back to the University of Texas... I started up my website and I just called it cake crush still to this day am obsessed, you can find like a highlight on my instagram that's like cake research and it's just all these cakes that I find in random places. I just watch them over and over again there's one that I really love she is. I think she's called Drake on cake. She does like a Drake quote from one of his songs. Oh, okay. And then decorates the cake based on that. It's great. She's fantastic. But there's super inspiring to me. I've always been a fan of patisseries. I've always been a fan of food. And so that's kind of where it came from. And I used to only make clay work that was cake based or, so like you'll see on my website, if you go way, way back right. in the art project section, My first installations were clay with these really candy-colored, beautiful glazes that I handmade, and then I would touch everything up with real icing, and then I would sprinkle glitter on the icing. I would make these clay pieces, decorate them actually with icing, and then as I moved along, I started making that caulk that you make a bathtub with or whatever. And I would dye that Oh yeah. and then, or paint it and then sprinkle that because what I was finding, which I really liked, ants would come when you decorate things with icing <laughs> bugs eventually come. I thought it was really cool and interactive. Galleries don't really believe that.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, probably not.
1: So it was something that I kind of changed to making caulk, but I don't really do a lot of cake based things anymore because it kind of just swerves to whatever I'm vibing with or whatever during that time that I'm making something. So it changes all the time. Most of the time now I'm really inspired by my travels and a lot of that has to do with the writing that I do. Cause I do a lot of writing either on my blog or I have a couple of books that are coming out this year.
0: Oh, that is really cool. Congratulations.
1: And so it just manifests in different ways. Like me being an artist isn't just about me making a physical object anymore. Me being an artist is me exploring the world and then translating that back in whatever medium I feel is most appropriate.
0: You're consuming the world and then digesting it into something new.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or at least I'm attempting to. That's the that's the goal.
0: <laughs> well, I'm excited to go to your website and check out old and new stuff. You mentioned books. So real quickly, what do you mean? Books of art or writings or both?
1: One of the books that's coming out and is actually finished, but I need to physically get it in book form. It's been designed. It's been edited. Everything's ready to go. It just is at the last step. And that is a sort of a conglomeration of all the things I did during a residency that I had at the Bascom in Highlands, North Carolina. And it was a teaching residency. So I was making artwork and teaching at the same time. And I just kind of made a little DIY book. So they're all the projects that I did with the students during that six week period, just how to do them. And It's sort of written like a cookbook. It's really cool to look at. Um, and then Well-designed by the people that that are working on it with me, which I'm super excited about. The next book that's coming out is, and all three of them are coming out this year. They just may be closer to August, September because of this move to Cambodia is sort of all-encompassing right now. The next two books, one of the books is just, I used to interview art teachers from around the world and then started to translate that into just teachers from around the world. And so I'm taking all those interviews that I did and just putting them in one book so that people can buy this book as and just read about these different teachers from all over the world. And it's a really fun book. It has a project that they did with their students that they really enjoyed. It has images. It has how they got into art making and being a teacher. It talks about their favorite songs and what inspires them. It's just all over the map, but it's the same questions for each teacher. So it's really cool to just kind of see how that kind of comes together. And then the last book, which is kind of a beginning of a series of books, is just. My favorite blog posts that I've written about each of the travels that I've taken. Some of the travels have more than one blog post and some of the travels have just one blog post, but I've picked out my top 20 that I've enjoyed most recently and put them all together in one volume and then I'll do another one next year.
0: Well, those all sound amazing.
1: They'll be available on my website at some point. Awesome. Probably closer to September.
0: (laughs) Perfect. We'll check it out. Wow. Well, first of all, how cool your life is. I don't know if you weren't single, then it'd be very difficult to do everything that you're doing. You know, I don't, Yeah, it's a lot I can't imagine, but I, I'm also jealous because you've been to so many countries. I thought, you know, I've been to several now and i like, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. But definitely want to check out your blog and your new website and your new and old stuff. And it's just been really cool catching up with you again. No, I saw you, like you said, when you were in town for a bit, but it seems like I haven't seen you in like 15 years.
1: I know. We got to go to lunch, man.
0: Absolutely. So how long are you here? When do you leave?
1: The goal is to have the flight between August 1st and August 5th.
0: Okay. I'll try to reach out in next couple of days and let's just get some on the calendars.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. It'd be fun to see each other.
0: Yeah, definitely. And thanks for doing this.
1: I'm so happy to be involved with this. I was super excited when you asked me.
0: Well, me too. Again, I appreciate it. And I will catch up with you soon, okay?
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: We hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did recording it. I have to thank Damien Horn for his use of the song, Take It From Me. You can reach us at FTSUNashville at gmail.com. And now we have an Instagram account, Feeding the Senses Uncensored. As always, feed your senses. Feast on your community's artistic talents. And always, 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 feed your soul. Make it my turn, or crashing but I have to try.